You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, February 19th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report, followed by a roundup of regional weather and cultural news. Then, the California News Service reports on legislation that would bring about sweeping reforms of criminal sentencing. Later in the newscast, Felton Pruitt talks with two Black Lives Matter organizers about their quest to cultivate a culture of inclusion in El Dorado County. For their support of KVMR, we thank Habitat for Humanity Restore at 12359 Loma Rica Drive scheduling contactless donation pickups at 274-3761. Together, building stronger communities one home at a time. Habitat for Humanity Restore, Grass Valley. And Sierra Timberline, since 1978, offering a wide selection of contemporary to traditional American-made fabric and leather interior furniture for the Foothills lifestyle. Open Monday through Saturday, Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley online store at sierratimberline.com. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Justice Department says six more people affiliated with the right-wing Oath Keepers paramilitary group have been indicted in connection with the Capitol insurrection. As NPR's Ryan Lucas reports, they joined three members of the group already facing federal charges. The six new defendants who come from Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio are all in federal custody. They and the three previously indicted Oath Keepers face a range of charges, the most serious of which is conspiracy. Prosecutors say that several of the defendants dressed in paramilitary gear and participated in a military-style stack formation to push up the Capitol steps and storm the building on January 6th. The indictment alleges that some of the defendants coordinated ahead of the event, discussing what to bring, their travel plans, and where to stay in the Washington area. Prosecutors have brought some 200 cases so far in connection with the Capitol riot. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. Residents of Texas have basically replaced one problem with another, while power is being brought back up for those left in the dark after a winter weather system pummeled parts of the state this week. There is a shortage of clean drinking water. That's because the unusually cold temperatures there caused pipes to freeze and burst and power outages crippled water treatment plants. Seven million people in the state are under a boil water advisory. Millions more lack water. Erica Granado was in line early today at a water distribution site at Del Mar Stadium in Houston. Yeah, I gotta be early because I knew everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah. everybody wants water, so it's a difficult time for everybody. The blast of winter weather also overwhelmed the state's electricity grid. That's prompted Texas Governor Greg Abbott to say he wants mandates that will require power plants to withstand extreme winter weather. President Biden today told reporters he is sticking with his nominee for White House Budget Director despite objections from Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. NPR's Scott Horsley reports Manchin says he'll vote against nominee Neera Tandon because of her past partisan remarks. Neera Tandon is a longtime Democratic policy advisor who served in both the Clinton and Obama administrations. But it's her sharp-elbowed Twitter feed that's put her nomination in jeopardy, with critics on both the right and the left. Tandon apologized for tweets comparing Senator Ted Cruz to a vampire and likening GOP leader Mitch McConnell to a Harry Potter villain, but Manchin warns her overtly partisan statements could have a toxic impact on congressional relations with the budget office. 
Given Democrats' razor-thin margin in the Senate, Manchin's defection could sink Tandon's nomination, unless a Republican senator crosses the aisle and supports her. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Stocks are mostly higher, recovering some of their lost ground after three down sessions in a row, the market ending mixed. The Dow was up a fraction to settle at 31,494. The Nasdaq closed up nine points. The Standard & Poor's 500 was down seven points today. You're listening to NPR News. A search is underway for more than 100 unauthorized immigrants who fled a refrigerated truck at a gas station in central Texas. Texas Public Radio's Lorin Tarazas reports authorities are worried about the health of the immigrants as a portion of the state braced for another hard freeze overnight. About 50 of nearly 200 unauthorized immigrants believed to be trapped inside the refrigerated truck were detained at a gas station in southern Bear County Thursday evening. Bear County Sheriff Javier Salazar said deputies received a call from someone within the truckload saying they were running out of oxygen and were in need of help. He adds those that fled on foot into the woods were not equipped to brace for a hard freeze that struck the region that same night. Most of the people that I saw weren't wearing jackets. They were wearing like T-shirts and, and jeans at most. So they're probably going to be in some trouble out here, physically speaking. Officials believe the smuggling suspects may be intermixed with the victims detained so far. For NPR News, I'm Lauren Terrazas in San Antonio. Walt Disney World turns 50 in October, and to help celebrate, Mickey and Minnie will be getting new outfits. And some iconic structures like the Cinderella Castle and the golf ball-like spaceship Earth will get new lighting. Disney officials today unveiled the first details of how Disney World in Florida will celebrate its anniversary. Plans for the 18-month celebration, which begins in October, being made even as the sprawling theme park continues to deal with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Last fall, the company announced layoffs of 28,000 workers at its parks division due to limits on attendance and other pandemic-related issues. Oil was down $1.28 a barrel today to 59.24 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Thousands of people across the state who were expecting to get their COVID-19 vaccine shots today have had their appointments rescheduled because of a shortage of doses. Severe weather across the country has delayed shipments of both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Here's L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. We learned that two shipments of Moderna vaccines were expected to arrive in L.A. this week were delayed due to the severe weather that's making planes unable to fly with those badly needed doses here in Los Angeles. As a result, about 12,500 patients with appointments for vaccinations at our large vaccination sites have had their appointments rescheduled automatically. The delay has also forced the closure of the vaccination site at Disneyland in Orange County. It's a mixed bag across the rest of the state. In the Central Valley, thousands of doses haven't arrived. In the Bay Area, Napa and San Mateo counties are seeing major shortages, while others like San Francisco aren't expecting problems for now, but they say that could change by next week. Turning to politics, California Republicans will gather for a virtual convention this weekend amidst the party's effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. KQED's Katie Orr reports. The convention comes as the party gains a little bit of traction in the state, where its members have largely been relegated to bit player status in recent years. But Republican political consultant Rob Stutzman says the state GOP is coming off a strong election year where it outperformed expectations. And he says there's enthusiasm about the possible recall. 
the effort against Newsom makes sense for the party. It's something to build around. There's probably voter support for the recall beyond just the Republican Party. It gives an opportunity for Republicans to talk about how they would govern the state differently. Still, Stutzman acknowledges the GOP faces a steep climb in the state, and he notes the party may have lost voters after the January insurrection at the U.S. Capitol for the California Report. I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Senator Alex Padilla and other California members of Congress introduced a major immigration bill on Thursday. As KQED's Tyke Hendricks reports, the Biden-backed bill would offer a path to citizenship to the country's unauthorized immigrants, including more than two million here in California. Passing the bill could be tough with a closely divided Senate. But after two decades of failed attempts to overhaul immigration, South Bay Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren says current laws no longer serve the U.S. economy or a just society. We are dependent on farm workers who are out there in the field risking the uh, contagion of COVID, and a majority of them are undocumented. How does it serve the United States to not allow people who are serving our needs to get right with the law? It doesn't. The bill is set to be introduced in the Senate next week. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary, personalcapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Today marks a day of remembrance, the anniversary of President Roosevelt's executive order that led to the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II. This week on our sister show, The California Report magazine, host Sasha Koka brings us the voices of Japanese Americans from the Central Valley who participated in a StoryCorps project to share memories across generations. Yutaka Yamamoto was in fourth grade in Fresno when Japanese troops bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, the thing I remember most was that from December 7th on, every day the teacher that I had, she would turn the radio on. The National Broadcasting Company brings you the latest news from the Far Eastern War Zone. The news naturally was about the war and the Japanese. They use a nickname, Jap. It's very painful to hear people call you a Jap. And I told my teacher, who was a Caucasian, I won't be coming to school from tomorrow. And her only reply was, oh, no, no goodbyes or nothing. In another StoryCorps interview, Fresno County peach farmer and author Mas Masamoto talks with his wife, Marcy, who's white, about how the legacy of internment shaped their marriage. Growing up, my parents called that time they were in camp. And it was their euphemism for saying they were in prison, thrown in prison in the Arizona desert behind barbed wire for four to five years. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when you first heard that story? And what you felt. I, I remember you telling me that story, and I could not believe it. I, I admit I knew nothing about Japanese-American um, internment or incarceration um, until you told me about that. Here we were in graduate school before I ever 
uh, heard about that. And um, I don't think my folks, my dad in particular, saw the wrong in that at all. Right? Here's the wild thing, Mars, that I think your understanding of that story, that legacy, part of our family history and part of me, was when you could grasp that, understand it, it was love. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> Their daughter, Nikiko Masumoto, co-founded the Yonsei Memory Project to help collect these conversations while elders who lived through the war are still alive. There's nothing like the moment now to ask a question and listen. It's a beautiful experience. For The California Report, I'm Sasha Koka. You can hear more of these StoryCorps conversations on this week's California Report magazine. And that is the California Report for this Friday, February 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, and Jim Bennett, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Holly J. McDeed, and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great weekend, everyone. Legislation introduced in Sacramento would bring sweeping sentencing reforms to the state's penal code. The California News Service has a report. Today is the last day for bills to be introduced in Sacramento, and supporters of criminal sentencing reform have filed nine proposals, all intended to make the system more just for people of all races. The bills would follow through on recommendations made in a new report from the California Committee on the Revision of the Penal Code. Natasha Minsker, a consultant to the committee, supports Senate Bill 483, which would shorten sentences for thousands of people sitting behind bars for so-called zombie enhancements, longer sentences for reasons that have been repealed by the legislature. And we have to go back and reconsider these lengthy sentences that serve no purpose for public safety and have really damaged Black and Latino communities. Several bills would give judges more discretion with regard to sentencing enhancements, especially gang-related enhancements, which have been disproportionately used against Black and Latino defendants. Minsker also supports lightening up on certain traffic infractions that impose a particular burden on low-income drivers. Assembly Bill 907, for example, would make driving without a license a civil offense with a $50 fine instead of a misdemeanor that leads to a point on the person's driving record. Driving on a suspended license, that's a crime that impacts low-income communities of color and has nothing to do with public safety. The commission also recommends more sweeping reforms, including a proposal to allow most people who have served at least 15 years behind bars to petition for a lighter sentence. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Here is the regional forecast for the weekend weather. This evening in the Nevada City Grass Valley area, showers and light rain continuing until morning, with a slight possibility of snow showers early Saturday. Partly cloudy in Nevada City and Grass Valley Saturday with a high of 48 degrees and a low of 39. Sunny and warmer on Sunday with a high near 60 degrees and a low of 44. Tonight in Truckee, cloudy with snow showers, with steady snow likely after midnight and an overnight low of 24 degrees. 
one to three inches of snow are expected overnight. Chains are likely to be required tonight for travel in the Sierra. In Truckee on Saturday, clearing in the morning to sunshine with some clouds with a high of 37 degrees and a low of 17. Sunny and warmer Sunday in Truckee with a high of 45 degrees and a low of 21. In Sacramento, partly cloudy tonight with occasional overnight showers and a low of 44 degrees. Saturday, mainly sunny with a high of 61 degrees and a low of 40. Sunday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 66 degrees and a low of 39. The Miner's Foundry in downtown Nevada City is offering live music to live audiences at its patio bar this weekend. Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m., Masha and Jeff Crawford, the duo known as Old Souls, will perform fiddle, banjo, and harmony tunes. From 2 to 5 p.m. Sunday at the Foundry, Ludi Henricks will celebrate the Lunar New Year with songs and poems honoring nature. A week from tonight, the Center for the Arts in Grass Valley will present the Fula Brothers live from the Center at 7 p.m. The Fula Brothers, a favorite among California World Fest fans, will bring West African grooves to this live broadcast streaming from the Center stage. Together, Mamadou Sidibe and Walter Strauss combine music of the West African hunter's harp, fingerstyle guitar, drums, and vocals. Sidibe is a master player of the Kamala and Gone, the eight-stringed hunter's harp. Strauss is a fingerstyle guitarist who draws on American roots, jazz, and classical traditions. Information is available online at thecenterforthearts.org by calling 530-274-8384 or visiting the box office in downtown Grass Valley. The box office is open Wednesdays and Fridays from noon to 4 p.m. In other center news, it is taking applications for its 26th annual Open Studios Tour, which starts October 9th. This annual event features classic and contemporary art, hosting more than 45 artists in four short days. A piece from each studio on the tour will be on display in a preview exhibition at the Granucci Gallery at the Center for the Arts starting in mid-September. Nevada City School of the Arts is accepting applications for the school year starting in the fall. NCSA is a public charter school serving students in transitional kindergarten through eighth grade. The school, on 150 acres on Bitney Springs Road in Nevada City, provides an academic environment using art as a lens to shape the curriculum. New parent information meetings will take place February 24th and March 25th via Zoom. In conjunction with its ongoing Big Read celebration of the book The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich, Nevada County Reads and Writes will begin a three-part writing series on Monday. The event will feature local authors Wendy Hornsby and Gage McKinney leading workshops on writing based on the themes and style of The Roundhouse. Nevada County is one of 84 communities nationwide participating in the National Endowment for the Arts Big Read. The local calendar of events includes book discussions, story walks, and Nissanon cultural programs. The Nevada County Community Library, in collaboration with Nevada County Reads and Writes, will also present a virtual film screening series on Thursdays through March 25th. Participants in the film series will gather online to watch movies that relate to the themes in the Roundhouse with a short discussion afterward. 
Another related series, on the next two Fridays at noon, will explore how creativity can be an ally in managing mental health and fostering resiliency. For more information, visit the events calendar at mynevadacounty.com library or call 530-265-7050. Next up, Felton Pruitt talks with two Black Lives Matter organizers about the challenges of combating racism in El Dorado County. We're talking with Michelle Green, the founder of Black Lives Matter El Dorado County, as well as Allie Jones, who is one of the co-organizers there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. How long has Black Lives Matter existed in El Dorado County, your organization? So the group was founded back in July of 2020 as a response to the murder of George Floyd and as a way to support and continue community action around social justice and collective liberation. I remember that we talked late last year. It's moving forward and you're gaining strength and gaining momentum. Absolutely. I think that the word is getting out. Um, People are engaged. And I think when you see a group growing and you see the support growing, that people who otherwise felt hesitant to come out, are now coming out and joining. Kind of giving them a voice. That's right. Have you found there to be resistance to having the existence of your organization? Absolutely. Um, You can hear that at city council meetings. There's definitely a narrative that Black Lives Matter is a violent organization, a terrorist organization, sometime back. There was a rumor that Antifa and Black Lives Matter were coming to town and they boarded up the entire town. Whereas if you look historically since Black Lives Matter has been active, there has been absolutely no violence on our part in this county. Have you attended any of these council meetings, these uh, Board of Supervisors meetings or city council meetings? Absolutely. We are on all the Board of Supervisors and city council meetings at this point. They are live streams, and they're also available to watch after the fact, and I highly suggest people do that. I do think that with the things that are happening, we have a lot of community engagement, which is really a positive thing. However, whether the officials are actually listening to the community, I question. How do you think you can change that? I think that the best way to change this is to promote accessibility to government. I think that people need to understand that we have a representative government, and it's okay to take part in it. It's not something to be scared of. And we're really trying to break down the barrier between government and the people. Recently, it was at the Board of Supervisors that appointed uh, to the Veterans Affairs Commission uh, Chris Cockrell, who has been identified as a member of the Proud Boys. Is there more discussion about that going on? I mean, I think that in itself represents exactly why we're here and why things need to change. This individual, as you said, has been identified as a member of the the Proud Boys, although he denies that through other individuals. He's never denied that personally. He has never denounced the group personally, nor his association, since the Toys for Tots incident on December 5th. Can you explain what the Toys for Tots incident was? There was a Toys for Tots drive in downtown Placerville on December 5th. And a group of individuals who identified themselves as the Hangtown Proud Boys came down, flashing, you know, the OK sign, which is 
ultimately saying white supremacy. They had shirts that had a hanging person from them. And they were joined by a Santa Claus who was very friendly with them and also, uh, you know, flashed the, the OK white, white power symbol. That Santa was later identified as Chris Cockrell. Has he admitted to being the Santa? He has absolutely admitted to being the Santa okay. and uses the narrative that it was just about Christmas, that I was just out giving toys. Yet with all of the discussion, with all of the outrage, with all of the opportunities he's had on the city council meetings, on the board of supervisors meetings, he has never apologized for being there. He has never apologized for throwing that symbol. And he has never denounced the group nor disassociated himself from them. And that speaks volumes. Now, he was appointed four to one. Is there any recourse to complain about this appointment? From what I understand, we're doing our due diligence. From what I understand, there is a process and we will investigate, you know, whether it's worth the energy to put into that process or whether we need to place that energy someplace else. That being said, there will be somebody on every Veterans Affairs Commission to monitor what's happening. So we're investigating our options at this point. We're talking with Michelle Green, the founder of Black Lives Matter El Dorado County, as well as Allie Jones, who is one of the co-organizers there. What kind of projects and goals have you set for the rest of 2021? Yeah, so 2021 for us is going to be a big year. We are going to be doing a lot of community outreach on civic engagement. Like we were saying earlier, just getting people comfortable with the idea of participating in government. That's going to be a big push for us. We are also working to do household projects and mutual aid projects to really build up the community. So yeah, we're focused on the future, which I think is an important part of this discussion that doesn't really come up a lot. There's a lot of talk about history in Placerville, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk about the future. And we're focused on building a better and inclusive future for our whole community. Now, in the past, I used to broadcast something called the Hangtown Halloween Ball. (laughs) which uh, came out of Placerville, of course. Has there been talks about just addressing the the whole Hangtown issue? Yeah, so um, the Hangtown nickname is a part of the seal that we are protesting in the city of Placerville. The seal has a, a gold panner, and it says Old Hangtown underneath it, and it has a tree with a noose hanging from it. This is something that Every citizen of the city of Placerville gets in their mail every other month for their water bill. This is on all of our city documents. Old Hangtown and the noose itself, they're antiquated and they're symbols of hate, and they all need to go. How does one become a Black Lives Matter organization in a certain area? Do you have to apply to a larger organization and get verified? So Black Lives Matter is a movement. There are ways to become an official chapter, so if you should so choose to do so, but it is a movement that truly anybody can join. And if people were interested in becoming uh, involved with your organization, how would they reach you and how would they get involved? Of course, social media is the way of the world. So we are available, of course, on Instagram at BLMEDC. Uh, we also have a group on Facebook. There's a page, again, that you can go to under at BLMEDC. And people are welcome to, to reach out, you know, take a look, find out what we're about, engage. We're happy to have folks of a like mind. Why are you in El Dorado County and why is it passionate for you to stay there and help positive change? Well, I mean, for me personally, I think that I would be doing this wherever I found myself. 
but I found myself here. And it's a beautiful place. It has beautiful people. And I, as an individual, refuse to let hate and racism take over this place. Not while I'm here. And I'm not planning on going anywhere. This is my home. How do you think you can change somebody's mind that's already made up and has been made up for maybe 50, 60 years? How, what, what is your goal to open the dialogue and get people to think more openly and more inclusively? Well, I think that that ties into the whole movement to lose the news because changing individual minds is important. But what we're really trying to do is shift the culture of the community to one of inclusion. And so I think that when your environment shifts, it allows you to have a different perspective. And so we're trying to just get these perspectives out into the community, get this discussion going to really cultivate a different kind of culture here. We will stay in touch with you and see how things roll out during the rest of this year. We've been talking with Michelle Green, the founder of Black Lives Matter El Dorado County, along with Allie Jones. Why don't you give folks the uh, information to get in touch with you one more time? So again, we can be found on Instagram at BLM EDC, um, at Facebook as well at BLM EDC. And you can also reach out to us by email, blmedc at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you for sharing some time with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR in Nevada City. Now KVMR wants to listen to you. We want your opinion on how we can make KVMR even better. So help us out by taking our listener survey today. You can find it online at kvmr.org survey. Coming up next at 6.30, the California Report from KQED Public Radio. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. Have a great weekend.